Battery Generation by Patrick Rosen and Leonard Peters. Brought to you by Celeste. This podcast is brought to you by the Helmholtz Institute Ulm and Celeste, the Center for Electrochemical Energy Storage, Ulm and Karlsruhe, Germany. Welcome back to Battery Generation, your podcast on electromobility and European battery research. Even though my co-host Leonard is not joining this afternoon, I'm extremely excited for today's show. We're talking about not charging batteries, but the charger of batteries. But before we start, dear listeners, as always, leave a comment, leave a like. You'll find us on all podcast platforms. Make sure to subscribe or even more helpful, send us a mail if you have a future topic. That's hello at batterygeneration.com. So here's the story. The number of electric vehicles are on the rise and so is the number of charging stations. When building infrastructure, you'll get to the chicken and egg dilemma. Yes, you need more charging stations so people would consider buying an electric vehicle. But on the other hand, infrastructural companies only build stations where EVs already exist. So the question is, how many chargers do we need Where should we build them? And especially, what kind of electric vehicle chargers are needed? So many questions for my podcast guest. It is Roland van der Put. Welcome to Battery Generation. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. Let me introduce you to our audience. You are the head of charging technology at Fastnet. Fastnet is an Amsterdam-based EV charging station builder. You guys operate a network of over 100 electric vehicle charging stations in the Netherlands, in Germany, in the UK, and as well in Belgium and Switzerland. They kind of look like a yellow flower even directed towards the sun with... Um, photovoltaics on top of it and a large majority of the stations are located at Dutch highways. So Roland van der Boot, um, how is the rollout of charging stations going so far? Yeah, we started uh, the company about 10 years ago uh, with the ambitious goal of uh, bringing freedom for the electric driver. And uh, the way to bring freedom was to build uh, fast charging stations where you can easily charge your car and then go on your way again. So right now we are at 209 stations in six countries. Uh, so we have a, a good network, good density in the Netherlands, and we are increasing the density of our network in other countries, including Germany. Um, so that rollout is uh, progressing with a few dozen new stations uh, per year. And by the end of 2024, we uh, anticipate having 400 fast charging stations in, in Europe. Okay, are these the points itself or one station is probably 10 to 20? Uh... Yeah, that's, that's a good question because we're not talking about fast chargers. We're talking about the location. So uh, imagine a station where you can charge with four, eight, 16 cars uh, uh, in parallel. So all at once. Uh, so each uh, station is equipped with multiple fast chargers. Uh, so in total, we currently have almost a thousand fast chargers for our customers. Uh, at those 209 locations. Wow, that sounds exciting. How many um, electric vehicles are on the European market or on European roads already? Could you kind of measure that number? Oh, that's a good question because the, I, I don't know that uh, on top of my uh, on top of my mind. But that's a, f a few million, a low low in the millions. Uh, but that percentage of uh, new vehicle sales uh, of electric vehicles inc is increasing rapidly. So. Uh, it went from 1% a few years ago to 5%, 10%. Now it's more like 20% or 30%. But if you look at Norway, 
it's more like 80% is electric. Uh, so as th- that curve goes up of electric vehicle sales, also the need for charging goes up quickly. So when we started uh, and when I joined eight years ago, people said, yeah, you're building this infrastructure, but there's hardly anyone charging. Uh, but of course, we knew we are building the infrastructure for the future for all those cars that will come once that curve really goes up. Now, we're really into this upward curve now. So we, we're really uh, expanding the capacity at existing stations as well to accommodate all those charging needs. So, yeah, number of cars increasing quickly. Uh, the, the speed at which it increases differs per market. So we see in our six markets that we're active in, the Netherlands is the front runner. Uh, I think after Norway, we are uh, one of the countries with the uh, highest percentage of uh, electric vehicles. But we now also see markets, let's say uh, Germany uh, and France, increasing rapidly. So there also the demand is increasing. And so also the number of tenders is increasing. Uh, and we can use the expertise that we gained in the Netherlands to also uh, do the same in other countries. In Germany, you still hear these critical voices. I can't buy an electric vehicle since there are no ch- charging stations within inner cities, for example. Um, who are the lame ducks uh, in Europe, since we're a, a European battery podcast, who are, um, well, the anti-innovators uh, when speaking of countries in Europe? Yeah, it, it, it has to do with the incentive for electric vehicles, but also uh, by making it easier for operators like us to roll out fast charging infrastructure. Because we are highly dependent on locations, as you can imagine. So the more locations that are made available, the easier it is uh, for us to uh, roll out fast charging infrastructure. So both along the highway, but also inside the cities. Um, And uh, some countries are really active uh, with that. For example, Switzerland issued a tender uh, a few years ago and said we're going to tender out uh, at least 100 locations along the highway. And they even prepared those locations as well. So then things can move pretty quickly. But other countries, let's say in uh, France or Italy, yeah, they're moving at a slower pace uh, until at one point the politicians realize, hey, if you want to uh, come in line with the Paris agreements and have more sustainable mobility, we also need infrastructure. So what do we need f- for that? Uh, uh, locations as well. And that's, of course, what we are advocating towards government as well. Uh, We say we need a proper and fair tender process and then we can have uh, competition between anyone involved and and anyone wanting to install fast charging stations. And that's the quickest way to roll out infrastructure. Just uh, set up a a proper open tender and then commercial companies like us can implement all those uh, fast charging stations. Where is uh, Eastern Europe um, on the score? Yeah, of course, we, we do this gradually. So uh, historically, we started with uh, 200 locations in the Netherlands for which we won a tender. Uh, That was a really great starting point, but that was uh, 10 years ago. So as we grew, we also grew in other markets, Germany, that's where we started first, and then the other four countries that we're active in. Um, But we can only scale so much. So we're scaling in each of the countries and we're scaling uh, in in terms of number of countries. And uh, right now we're looking into neighboring countries. So uh, we've just announced that we are now actively searching for uh, tenders and locations in uh, Italy and Spain and Austria, which are logical expansions if you compare to the network map that we currently have. But you need a certain level of density as well. 
So uh, we're actively working on that, but we aim for a thousand stations, and uh, that's not limited to those six countries. It, it that network will cover all of Europe. As I understood, um, you mainly build superchargers, or are they only superchargers? Yeah, we focus on fast charging. So supercharging is really the name that Tesla uses for their uh, network. Um, so we we call them fast charging stations, uh, and that's what we focus on. So uh, we offer 150 kilowatts and more of charging power at most of our stations. Uh, we have some stations that still offer 50 kilowatts, uh, but that's the minority in our network. So when whenever we uh, create a new station, when we install uh, chargers or add chargers, those are high power chargers. So that's 150 kilowatts and more. So we don't do AC slow charging. Uh, that's not our cup of tea. So we leave that to other players in the market. Since you're a techie, can you take uh, our non-expert on that trip? What is the difference between alternate current and direct current, AC, DC? Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, AC, DC, fast charging and, and so on. Um, the electricity grid delivers AC. So deliver, delivery is uh, alternating current. But the battery is uh, using direct current. So we need to convert AC to DC. Um, and that can be done either in the car or it can be done outside of the car. Normally, if you charge a vehicle with an AC charging pole, for instance, at home or at your workplace, then the car will take care of the conversion from the alternating current to the direct current. So that's using uh, an onboard device, usually at 11 kilowatt, for instance. Uh, and the reason that it cannot be any bigger or more powerful, because it's quite uh, heavy and quite uh, big and, of course, costly as well for the car makers to uh, introduce into a vehicle. For DC fast charging, you use an external device. So that whole conversion from AC to DC is done outside of the car. So the device can be a lot uh, more powerful and a lot bigger as well. Uh, and since you're sharing it, the cost price of the charger doesn't matter so much as well. It matters to us, but not so much for the driver. So we can offer up to 300 or even 350 kilowatts of charging power. In that case, the charger connects directly to the battery. So we use a big cable to connect the charger to the battery. And then the charge speed can be a lot higher since we bypass that onboard AC to DC converter. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, that also means that if you build a charging station right now with a, um, I don't know, 150 kilowatt power, um, it's not really possible to upgrade that uh, in the future. It's not only a software problem, right? So you have to kind of rebuild that station if in the future more power is required. Yeah, and of course, we uh, work ahead of the market. So we know a little bit of what's coming on the market in terms of cars. So we are uh, focusing on rolling out infrastructure that is capable of delivering 300 kilowatts. Currently, there are no cars on the market that, that, that can take full advantage of that. Some premium cars can go above 250, but those are the exceptions rather than, uh, than the rule. Um, so we already look ahead, five, at least five years ahead in terms of what do we need in terms of capacity. But to give you an example, when we started uh, the company, Uh, 50 kilowatt was the norm. So that's the only charger that we could install because there was nothing faster on the market. Uh, and, and we've been uh, working on upgrading existing station over the last two years to replace the 50 kilowatt chargers with 300 kilowatt chargers. So as technology progresses, uh, we can also move the 50 kilowatt chargers or maybe the 150 kilowatt charge in the future to other locations and then replace them by faster variants, uh, 300 kilowatts or maybe 400 kilowatts. Uh, into the, in the future. 
as I understood, it is always an interaction between the charging station, uh, the battery management system and the battery of the electric vehicle itself. Uh, different electric vehicles or the batteries require and enable different charging speeds. So um, electric currents are completely different uh, when it comes to different EV models, right? So how does that work out in reality? Yeah, there's a huge difference between one car and another. And also the circumstances have a big impact in the charging speed. I think the number one complaint that we see from drivers is, yeah, it's not as fast as I expected the charging to be. Um, and uh, that is usually caused uh, by marketing material of the car makers. Uh, they typically announce the fastest possible charging speed for that vehicle. So maybe 100 kilowatts or 200 kilowatts. But what they don't mention is that you only get this charging speed uh, in the beginning when your battery is very empty. So the state of charge or the SOC uh, is uh, also an important ingredient of the charge speed. Typically, if the battery is empty, you can charge it faster than if the battery is getting fuller. So that, that charge curve is really important as well. And we try to educate customers by showing this charge curve in our app and on our website, for instance. I guess you're referring to uh, certain protocols of different EVs, but uh, I guess your uh, website of Fastnet also provides that kind of marketing text. It says add up to 300 kilometers in 15 minutes. My question is, uh, isn't that a little more complicated when every uh, electric vehicle is treated a little different at your charger? So aren't you part of that game? Yeah, uh, we are part of that game as well, but we also try to make it very specific for all the vehicle types. So next to the, uh, gen let's say, general marketing talk of how fast you can charge at one of our stations, we also give very specific information for each vehicle make and model. So if you look up a Volkswagen ID3, you can see that it can charge up to 100 or 120 kilowatts. Uh, and, and also how the curve looks like. So at what speed can you charge at 10% and what will be the speed at 50 or 80% state of charge? So that really helps customers to make an informed decision when buying a car, but also helps managing expectations when customers arrive at one of our stations. Could you give me one example? Like uh, I'm plugging my electric vehicle into your chargers. Um, what kind of, how does that curve look like? So um, what's the fastest speed? Maybe up until 80% and then the last 20% are charged slower than the other 80%? Yeah, basically the, the charge curve of every, every vehicle make a model is different. So some charge curves are really flat. If you take the Audi e-tron, for instance, it is 150 kilowatts until about uh, 80%. So that's, that is a very flat uh, charge curve. But if you take a look at the Tesla Model 3, for instance, it starts really fast and then also starts tapering at 30, 40%. And then it starts going down until 80% and then it goes down uh, quicker. So all those charge curves uh, are really different. And they are based on the choices that the manufacturers have made uh, in terms of battery chemistry, for instance, but also the amount of cooling that they can use to cool down the battery during the charging process. So there's a lot of factors that uh, uh, interfere with the charge speed. So that's also why it's raising so many questions with customers. And then we have to try to answer them because customers will come to us and say, hey, your charger is broken. I'm only getting 30 kilowatts. And then we need to explain to the customer, yeah, your car is almost full or your battery is really cold. And that has a big impact 
on the charge speed. I guess every uh, electric vehicle owner wants to um, kind of avoid degradation on uh, or his um, vehicle. Is there any specific electric vehicle model that um, quick charges better than the others or kind of avoids the battery to be harmed? The later models uh, typically are equipped with uh, climatization of the battery. So that's, I think, a very important uh, element. Uh, also, when you make a decision what vehicle to buy, does it have uh, liquid cooling, yes or no? And also, does it have the heating in the winter as well? Because that also tremendously improves performance. So that climatization of the batteries is, uh, is critical. So if you look at some older uh, vehicles that don't have the, the liquid cooling or the, or the heating, typically uh, also the battery degradation uh, can be a little bit more because that temperature is either too low or too high for the battery to be in optimal conditions. That has uh, been the case for the past few years. I think now most cars or maybe all cars that come on the market, they will have some form of active climatization. And that should also help uh, prolong the life of the batteries. I guess every um, owner of a combustion engine um, vehicle knows the feeling um, when you kind of mix up diesel with gasoline. <laughs> Is it possible that... Uh, a vehicle that cannot be fast charged accidentally is plugged into your system and supercharged and then it gets uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, dangerous for someone? No, no, that's not possible, uh, luckily. So uh, there are different plugs for, let's say, slow AC charging and DC fast charging. Uh, but what we do get, uh, quite common actually, is that people say, yeah, my car can only charge at 50 kilowatts and I see your charger that can do 300 kilowatts. Isn't it dangerous to plug it in into that charger? Maybe I'm getting too much, but that whole process of charging is controlled by yeah, the, the battery management system, the BMS. So that brain of the car uh, knows the battery really well and also knows how fast it can be charged. So that BMS is communicating continuously with the, uh, with the charger. So they kind of negotiate the charging speed. So if your car can only charge at 50 kilowatts, the charger will make, make sure that you, you get 50 kilowatts and not uh, 300. So it's always safe to charge. Either the plug will not fit. So then it's clear that it's not working. And if it does fit, uh, you will get the charge speed that is appropriate for your car and, and nothing more. So it's not dangerous in that sense. That's good to hear. Uh, how much is charging at your charging stations? How, do, how much does that cost per kilowatt hour? Yeah, it depends on how you pay. If you pay with us directly uh, in Germany, for instance, you pay 69 cents, including uh, VAT, but you can also get uh, a, a subscription. So that if you pay 12 euros a month, you end up paying 45 cents uh, per kilowatt hour. But there's also various uh, uh, MSPs that offer flat rates, for instance, and there are some opportunities there to um, do, make some savings because some MSPs offer a very good rate or even some free charging if you sign up with them. And that then also works on our network. So if you pay with us directly, then you also see in the screen what you are end up paying. But if you use an MSP, yeah, then the price can be a little bit higher because they also need to be paid for their services. But it could also be lower if they happen to offer a very good deal for, uh, for your specific circumstances. Could you um, analyze your clients a little bit? I imagine there's lots of people that um, own uh, wall boxes at home, so they charge at home as well. Um, how many um, EV owners um, probably do not own a wall box and are um, charging 
publicly all the time. So what proportion of your clients do not own an own wall box at home? We, we don't know because we, uh, we never asked, uh, I think. And of course, quite a few of our customers are also anonymous because they use the uh, apps or the RFID cards of uh, MSPs. But what we do know is that in the beginning, a lot of the EV drivers had their own driveway. And the reason for that was EVs were quite expensive. And uh, if you can afford that, then usually you also have your own parking spot or your own driveway. And then because of the lack of infrastructure, typically everyone would get their own wall box as well. It's a peace of mind to be able to charge at home. And now we see uh, more and more people driving electric cars, also those that don't have their own driveway or parking spots, so they cannot charge at home. And then they are dependent on charging at the workplace, for instance, or in the streets, or going to a fast uh, net station if they're driving around. Um, so we see the uh, different use cases than in the beginning, because uh, a few years ago, it was mostly uh, fast charging on long trips. Uh, or maybe you're waiting for your wall box to be installed at home and then you go to one of our stations. Now it's also people that don't have their own wall box or that are dependent on public uh, charging, uh, but those charges might be occupied. And then uh, you have an empty battery and then a good option is to come to a fast charging station. So that, that mix of customers is changing. It's definitely not, not uh, only for uh, longer trips and not only for your holidays, Uh, but also if you're driving and you want uh, to give your uh, kids some ice cream and you have 10 minutes, why don't you just charge up in those 10 minutes? Uh, it gives you uh, some additional range and then you don't need to look for a AC charger on the street, for instance. So we see uh, all those use cases uh, uh, among our customers. I wondered a little bit why um, your specific location was motorways. Could you give us a reason for that? Yeah, we look at where is the most traffic. And obviously on the motorways, there are a lot of cars are coming by and they're also driving longer distances. So the whole logic behind focusing uh, primarily, but not exclusively on highways and, and other roads with high traffic uh, is that high traffic. So the, 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 the people that drive a little bit longer distances between cities, for instance, or on longer trips, uh, that is where you empty the battery and that's where the need for charging is the highest. And our mission is to provide freedom for electric drivers. So we want to enable you to drive from Amsterdam to Zurich, for instance, without having to worry where you can charge. And that's then, then you have to be at the motorways. But of course, we also go off the motorways and even into the cities. Uh, especially if you don't have your own driveway, then of course it's very convenient to have uh, uh, charging facilities as well. I uh, would just want to explain you why I think it's a little strange since uh, there's lots of critical voices that uh, um, tell us it's very convenient with an electric vehicle to uh, go to your work and back and forth. But uh, if you're on a motorway to someplace else, it's probably a little soon uh, to... Um, you know, drive your electric vehicle. I think these times are over, aren't they? Yes, uh, they're definitely over. I just uh, returned from a trip from Italy, from Florence. And um, yeah, my, my, after my business meeting ended, I went to the Lake Como, which is just uh, 400 kilometers with one brief charging stop, just five minutes. I could reach my hotel, charge at the hotel with, uh, uh, with the AC charger. And then on, on a Friday, I, I drove straight home, which is 1,050 kilometers with just three charging stops. 
uh, and those three charging stops take uh, half an hour on average. Um, so yeah, maybe it takes a little bit longer than a combustion uh, engine, um, but I think that's a pretty pretty good uh, statistic. Just three charging stops for such a long distance. That's no problem at all. No waiting involved, no issues. Um, and I've been doing long road trips before, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and then those times were really more challenging because you had so many charging stations with failed. There's only one on the parking lot um, and it's only 50 kilowatts. So it takes longer. And now you see so many charging stations, not only us, but also others. Uh, installing multiple fast chargers on one side and increasing quality as well. So I think in most countries it's okay, but some countries still need uh, to develop some more infrastructure. France is a good example of that. Um, so I think Germany is well covered, but France need a needs a little work. Let me quote um, uh, the director of Helmholtz Institute in Ulm here, uh, Professor Fichtner. In his podcast, he told us uh, that it's just a change of habits. So if someone says uh, it's not convenient um, to charge your electric vehicle within 20 or 30 minutes, that is the time you need a croissant or you, you want to buy a coffee yeah. for. So I guess that is uh, something we wouldn't talk in probably a year or three. Uh, Roland van der Poel, let me uh, ask you another question. So you told us that you guys are building uh, charging stations along the motorway. Um, let's talk about infrastructure here. So when building dozens of these charging points at highway stations, um, huge potential currents uh, are required when all charging points are busy one day. So that doesn't that stress the local electricity grid? Yeah, it definitely uh, needs a big grid connection, obviously. But the advantages of combining multiple charges on one spot is that the chances are very low that all charges are occupied at the same time and that they're all running at full power. So if you have uh, one charger, for instance, uh, it can either be used or not used. So you need to take into account that it can always be used. So you need to uh, allocate sufficient grid capacity for that. But if you have eight or 16 charges, then on average, not all charges are used. And if they're used, they're not used to full capacity. So that means that you can have a smaller grid connection with 16 chargers. It's not the same as one charger's grid connection times 16. It's, it's much lower than that. And we have some technologies that we can uh, deploy as well. For instance, load balancing. So that means that all chargers communicate with each other with a central device that takes care that all chargers uh, together stay within the limitations of the grid connections. So then all the peaks are leveled out uh, and then we can use a slightly smaller grid connection while still serving all the customers and hardly impacting their charge speed. So yeah, we need big grid connections, uh, but we are on the uh, mid-voltage grid. So we're not on the low-voltage grid that you typically have at homes. So we have our own Travo station, for instance, and it's fairly efficient to transport a lot of electricity to that travel station since it is done at a much higher voltage, uh, typically 10,000 or 20,000 volts. So um, yeah, with that, we have sufficient capacity to power big stations. Okay, so you're not using some sort of battery that uh, stores the energy from your photovoltaics and then runs empty at some point? No, no, we, we definitely need the grid. Uh, of course, we have uh, photovoltaic panels on our roof as well, not just for aesthetics. We also deliver electricity. And since there's typically always a car charging, we don't need a stationary battery to store that energy. Uh, typically, there's always a car charging, so we can uh, store it directly into that uh, into that vehicle. 
Um, we are looking into ways of uh, generating more renewable energy on site. So we are talking to uh, owners of uh, wind farms or solar parks to see if we can make a direct connection with those wind or solar parks, uh, because then we can use that electricity directly. So in our, or maybe in my dream scenario sometime in the future, is we have a lot of solar and maybe some wind. We connect it directly to a, a fast charging station, uh, all using DC, so all using direct current, maybe a battery buffer as well. Uh, and in that way, we can uh, generate the electricity locally and use it as efficiently as possible. Because right now, there's a lot of uh, steps in between. It's not as efficient as it could be, but this is the state of the art that we can do today. But in the future, there are several developments possible to make it better, more integrated, and more efficient. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be part of this whole adventure. Um, and I see a lot of opportunities for new improvements as well. So I hope it will not stop and that we can find new ways of uh, innovation as well. Let's talk about visions here. I mean, uh, you uh, supply uh, lots of motorways uh, with uh, charging stations. Uh, imagine future Fastnet charging parks. Uh, is it also possible to back up a region's uh, electrical grid by Uh, vehicle-to-grid technology. So is it imaginable that um, maybe you guys build uh, a charging park at a, an airport, for example, when people don't necessarily need the electric vehicle, so um, the current is, is going the other way? Is that possible in the future? Yeah, technically it's possible. Uh, but the question is if it's our focus group or not. So our focus is really on uh, the fastest possible charging so that people can be on their way again. So we're not aiming to build uh, uh, fast charging stations at airports where people park their car. Uh, we, we then encourage people to park the car at a regular park, parking spot. And if they then return from their holiday, uh, they can top up the vehicle on one of our stations uh, while they eat their croissant or have a coffee and recover from the, from the jet lag. Um, but it is perfectly imaginable to use uh, uh, DC wall boxes, for instance, to do this. So that's not our focus, but if you have uh, a parking spot at home or a garage and you have uh, a lot of vehicles connected to a DC wall box, you can uh, do all kinds of things to stabilize the grid or provide uh, a buffer to store uh, renewable energy, for instance. So we are monitoring what's going on in that field, but since our focus is on the, on the fastest possible charging, uh, we're not uh, directly involved in that. Let me come to the last question. It comes from uh, one of our users. Um, he or she, I don't know, uh, asks you, um, does Fastnet consider induction charging technology one day? Yeah, induction charging is an interesting technology. Uh, right now, the speed is uh, limited and it's, uh, it is a very custom technology as well. So you need a, a special, yeah, let's say, receptacle on the, on the vehicle. So it's not universal across all vehicles. So it's not something that we're actively looking at, uh, but we, we think it could be a solution for certain uh, use cases, for instance, taxis or uh, delivery vans that frequently make short trips. And then you want to avoid having to get out, plug in, do some charging, and then do the reverse if you want to continue. Um, so it's not our focus, but it could uh, be part of the puzzle that we need in order to charge all those vehicles. Uh, and then, yeah, that could be a, a very good technology. Uh, a variant of this is not induction charging, but uh, let's say robotic charging. So then it's not using induction, but there's a, a robot 
that will then insert uh, the, the CCS connector into the vehicle. Uh, and that is uh, t- uh, something that we are actively following as well, because particularly for truck charging, that could be a good solution. You can imagine uh, if you want to charge a truck, you need a whole lot more power than we do today. So then it's not 300 kilowatt, but maybe a thousand kilowatt, one megawatt. Uh, and then also the plug and the cable gets heavier. So then an automated uh, device that inserts the plug into the, in the truck could be very useful. So we are very interested in following those kinds of technologies to also enable truck charging uh, in the coming years. Kind of like sounds like NEO's business model uh, for, for trucks, right? So you, you're actually looking uh, towards that field. Kind of seems different to what you're doing right now. So w- w- yeah, I, don't, I don't see kind of uh, w- where you're stepping in since you're supercharged. And now you're saying you want to replace batteries within trucks. No, it's not, not, not battery swapping. So that's, again, an, another different technology. It's uh, really about uh, a device that uh, uh, inserts the CCS connector into the vehicle. So for, for trucks, we need a much heavier uh, connector. It's called the uh, megawatt charging standard, which was recently announced. Uh, and then a, a device that does it for you could be very beneficial. So we're not looking into battery swapping. That's another uh, question that I, I expected uh, because what NEO is doing is probably working well for the NEO ecosystem, but it's hard to imagine that you have 20 battery sta- swapping stations next to each other, one for each vehicle brand. We don't think that is going to work. And if you look at the charging speeds of today, uh, typically customers spend about 20 minutes at our stations to charge up uh, with the increasing charging speeds that will probably go down to 15 or 10 minutes in the future. Yeah, And then if you're on a long trip, I think 10 minutes break, 15 minutes break is perfectly fine. I, I definitely need it after three hours of driving. Mr. Van der Put, um, what is the greatest challenge uh, as of now to build up a European charging station infrastructure? Yeah, the biggest challenge are locations. Since uh, without a location, you cannot build a station and everything else follows that location. So we need good locations that are scalable to uh, allow big fast charging stations to be constructed. So we're looking for high traffic locations, which can typically be found along the highways. Uh, Most countries in Europe have some kind of surface areas. So we're really uh, encouraging governments to open up those surface areas uh, for vehicle charging and basically create uh, an open and fair tender process to allow us, but also others, to uh, enter those tenders and build that infrastructure. So locations is really the key element uh, that we need for the coming years. Do you think it's possible that Fastnet also gets into the market of um, of city lights like Obricity and Shell are doing? So every uh, light pole will be a, a charger soon? Yeah, that's f- that's a lot of work. And we focus on scalable stations uh, at, at a single location. So that's our biggest advantage that we have. We can serve hundreds of vehicles on a, on a, on a single location. While a charger integrated into a city light, for instance, can serve one, maybe two vehicles a day. So that's a lot more work to maintain and to install. And we see some big players that announce they will not focus on AC charging anymore or will focus much less on AC charging and will focus much more on DC fast charging. So we think we have made the right choice by sticking to DC fast charging. So I don't think that will happen anytime soon. 
Mr. Van der Put, thank you so much uh, for your expertise and your time. Dear audience, if you got any questions now, feel free to ask in the comment section, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell for future podcasts. That's it for today. Click in, tune in and stay charged. This podcast is also supported by the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology, Ulm University, the German Aerospace Center, and the Center for Solar Energy and Hydrogen Research, Baden-Württemberg. Mm -hmm.